0: Well, good morning. Uh, gorgeous weekend that we've been given. Good to have you all here. Special greetings to those joining us at the O-1 and Highland Park and Crossroads, and a special thanks to all of you who are serving inside and outside the walls of Christ Church. We often say here that uh, everybody wins when you serve, starting with you. And uh, I just really, really believe that that is true. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's part of how we move forward, part of how we grow. And I had a a couple little um, intersections this week to sort of confirm that. I I was sent a copy uh, of an article that's being a a national magazine that's going to run a little feature on the Hogs ministry here, the hands of God serving, and as I read that, uh, see those that are serving mostly men, but some women as well, doing real practical stuff, hammer and nail kind of stuff, cleaning up, going to single moms and and uh, widows and older folks that need help with sort of home maintenance and doing other stuff in the schools and other things and they 're just all stoked about um, how they love to serve this way. I got an email from someone who served last week uh, during Holy Week, and they were commenting on how. This serving opportunity, which they would never stepped into anything like that before, had been so catalytic in their own spiritual formation. And they were just very thankful for the chance to serve. (laughs) And we go, well, look, (laughs) we're glad that you're serving. Now, I I, I need to be clear. Uh, Not every serving opportunity that we get sort of makes us feel wonderful and self-actualized and, wow, this is great. Everything was just perfect uh, we want to find those. I mean, we want to keep experimenting until we find uh, that intersection of the world's great need and our gifts and passions. And and then do that, more of that. I volunteer on some nonprofit boards because, you know, I've got a lot of experience with that. And I'm mentoring some young pastors in the greater Chicagoland area because... I'm now the the old guy, and I can, I can do that, and I've got something to offer there, and I'm, this week I'm going to speak to a couple college groups, because I've done that, and I get energized by that. So there's wonderful ways to serve in that sense, but sometimes it's just like, wow, this is hard, and I wouldn't do this if they paid me to do it. But we, we serve in that way as well, and it's good for us, and it's good for other people. So... Uh, Thank you to all of you who are serving at all the campuses and in a variety of ways outside of the campuses. Formal and informal serving, it's part of what we get called to. And we're going to see some of that today as we turn to this uh, very famous parable. We're going to see Jesus commend somebody who serves in a way that is hard and dangerous, risky, inconvenient, costly, uh, but... But he does it, and it is—it's um, the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, I'm guessing two things here: first, that you're familiar with the with good Samaritan. That 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 phrase is something that you have heard uh, over and over. So even if you don't know the story, you feel like, yeah, I've heard good Samaritan. That, like many other expressions, good Samaritan has come into the um, modern lexicon through the King James Version of the Bible. There's all kinds of expressions that come out of the King James Version that you, you probably say or have heard and you don't know where they came from. Um, a stumbling block, a thorn in the flesh, all things to all men, be fruitful and multiply, eat, drink, and be merry eye for an eye fell flat on my face holier than thou in the twinkling of an eye put words in her mouth scapegoat the blind leading the bind skin of my teeth it just goes on and on these are all expressions that come out of the King James version of the Bible and 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 Samaritan good Samaritan is one of them so you probably have heard that and some of you are familiar with the story but my um contention today is that you may not fully appreciate the 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 full thrust of this uh, of this parable i think many people would say the good samaritan makes the point that a christian is somebody who helps other people uh almost the definition of a christ follower is somebody who who cares for other people period full stop and uh, Wow, there's so much to say good about caring for other people. We get called to that. Jesus is going to call us to that in this parable. But there's, there's a little bit more going on here. Uh, we have to be careful, careful to read the Bible in context. And I over and over have said, Look, uh, 10 plus 10, every day you've got to read the Bible for 10 minutes and pray for 10 minutes, right? That that alone, that commitment alone... Would be revolutionary in your life if you're not doing something like it. And if you're doing it, great, 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 great. Don't hear this as any reason to stop, but if if all you ever do is read for 10 minutes, you know, thinking Woodruff, that slave driver, tells me I gotta do this, and so I'm gonna, you set the timer, or you read a page and a half, or, you know, three chapters, or sort of whatever you've sort of figured out, it was about 10 minutes, and then you stop. If that's all that you ever do, then you're going to miss the, the sort of the big arc of the story. And it, this is perhaps easy to see if we think back to the, uh, to the Amazed series, right? Where we were looking at, at Christ as he emerged out of the desert and began his teaching ministry. And we saw that he did this series of miracles. And if every day you were just reading about one of the miracles, then it, it's possible that you would think... The big point here is about the miracle. But when you read them all together, I mean, if you sit down and read this together, then you go, oh, no, I get it. This is actually about Jesus. Right? The miracle are less important than they are as a sign pointing to the fact that Jesus is different than every other rabbi. Well... <clears throat> A couple weeks ago I, I noted when we were at the end of Luke chapter nine, there was a little passage that said, And Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem. And I said, Okay, this is big right here. Right, the next ten chapters, Jesus is gonna be marching towards the cross, towards his death. And that shapes everything. And, and we, we've got to read what happens now in the context of Jesus heading to his death. And that's going to that's impact how we understand uh, this particular parable. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it's Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. I'm going to read now, slowly. Uh, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, three things right away that you have to understand about this. First of all, this expert in the law, and and perhaps depending upon what version you're looking at, I might say lawyer. This expert in the law, this lawyer, is uh, not a lawyer uh, as you typically think of them. It's not, you know... Perry Mason or whoever your favorite TV lawyer is, uh, Arnie Becker or Denny Crane or, you know, some, some hero out of a John Grisham novel or a Scott Turow uh, book. It, th- that's not what we're talking about here. Israel had been a theocracy. They're not completely that at the moment that we're reading this because they've been overrun by the Romans, and before that they'd actually had a king. But, but Israel had been a theocracy; they had been ruled directly by God. And at that time, uh, so this is right after Moses leads the Jews out of captivity. At that time, they go to Mount Sinai, and and God had given the law, right? So more than the Ten Commandments. Uh, were were handed down to Moses and in fact by some uses of the term law you you refer to all of Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy they're referred to sometimes as the Pentateuch because there's five books sometimes they're referred to as the Torah the law and and so in the law was contained moral civil and ceremonial instruction now uh We pay attention to the moral law. The the civil law, we don't. We're not a theocracy, okay? Some people occasionally talk as if we are. Some people are scared that we're becoming one, but we're not. We're not a theocracy. We're a republic. So the civil law found in the law doesn't apply to us. And additionally, the ceremonial law had... Everything to do with the sacrificial system. And Jesus changes all of that. So we don't pay attention to the ceremonial law either. But at this time, the Jews were attempting to do that. And the Pharisees in particular were very dialed in on this stuff. And so, uh, so the first thing to understand is that this, this expert in the law, this lawyer, is a really sort of a theologian. And uh, they're, they're sort of schooled to try and help uh, the people figure out how to live in subjection to God's sovereign authority over their life. The second thing to understand is that this, uh, that this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This is a trap. okay We're going to see this more and more that the, that the Pharisees in particular are going to try and Trip Jesus up. They're going to try and get him on record saying something that he doesn't like, right? They're, they're going to try and make him look like uh, an idiot. So this young lawyer is not sincerely asking a question, right? He's, he's got this swagger about him, right? He's like, okay, this hick from Galilee is coming down here. He, he's not been to the right schools. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to ask him some questions and just help him see just how ill-equipped he is to be a rabbi. Right? That's, sort of, that's the demeanor that we've got here. The third thing, just to note briefly and file away, is that the question he asks is a little weird. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, well, that's not how... that's not really how you talk, right? I mean, you might say, well, what do I have to do to get into heaven? What do I have to do to to earn eternal life, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, how do you inherit something? Um, You're born into the right family. So that's how you inherit something. So it's just a weird way that he's asked this question. But perhaps that's significant. We'll see it later on. Okay, so verse 26. This guy asked, what must they do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus responds, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So Jesus, who's not just two steps ahead of this guy. He's, you know, a thousand steps ahead of this guy. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows this guy's trying to trick him. And he just pivots, as he so often will, and throws the question back at them. Right? So that's what Jesus does. He goes, hey, well, what do you think? I'd love to hear from you. How do you understand it? So, verse 27, this um, this this young lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's done is a, is a fair answer. Comes out of Leviticus. He could have uh, spent hours reciting all the laws. There's 620 some laws the way they counted. He could have recited all these laws. And then the Pharisees had laws surrounding the laws, right? To make sure you didn't break the law. If the law said don't drive, you know, over 45 miles an hour, they said don't drive over 30 miles an hour, right? So we're going to prevent you from even getting close to breaking the law. So they got laws. They got laws about their laws. They got laws that go, they could have, he could have spent forever reciting all these laws, which he probably was, uh, had memorized or was working on it. But instead, this is very fair, he summarizes the law in a way that is found in the book of Leviticus. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what you got to understand. <laughs> uh, This is impossible to do. Okay. So one of the purposes of the law, and the the Westminster Confession really pulls this together for us brilliantly. One of the purposes of the law is to help us understand that we can't can't earn God's favor. So one of the purposes of the law is, is to keep the Jews alive and moving forward because they have to give us a Savior. And, and so God gives them these laws so that they will be a healthy society because sick societies don't last. They implode or they get run over. And so God has given the law, one of the purposes of the law, is to keep the, the, the Jews, the nation of Israel, moving forward so that they can deliver to the world the, the Savior of the world. A second purpose of the law is to help people know How life works best okay so so the moral law comes out of the character of God and and it's good good wise advice and if we follow it our life is more likely to work now the world is broken so there's no you know direct guarantee that if we do the right thing it's always going to work out but the, but the odds are much better. So that's one of the purposes of the law. But a third purpose of the law is to give us an objective standard. Okay, so this is what God expects of us. Otherwise, without an objective standard, we just sort of look around and say, how am I doing relative to everyone else? And we, we often will assess our, our intentions against other people's actions. And we think our intentions are generally pretty good. So we grade it on a curve, we feel good about how we're doing and after all, right? I'm better than Hitler, I'm better than so and so. I mean, so so no, that's not the question. Here is the law. We can jump this high, you got to jump over this bar. We don't even come close to getting to the bar. So the law gives us that uh that clear understanding. But this guy answers the question. So what comes next? is Jesus, this is, there's, a little, there's a little laugh track going on here, right? Jesus is looking around at everybody else and winking, and he says to this guy, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll be fine. <laughs> Just be 100% perfect 100% of the time, right? And then everything's great. Good luck with that, right? So, but the man wanted to justify himself. He realizes, whoa, uh, I was going to make this guy look like an idiot. He's sort of making me look like an idiot, uh, but I got to I gotta come back. So he's got to save face. So the man wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? So not so fast, Jesus. Uh, see, this was a little bit of a trick question, and it's a little bit more complicated than you understand. And so I got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I got to love my neighbor as myself, but really? Is that a, that's, not a, that's not a good answer. So in response, Jesus tells this story. A parable is a, is a simple story that makes a moral or religious point. Jesus is a master of parables, so he's going to tell this story, and then he's going to ask another question. In reply, verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers. Okay, so everybody knows this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, it, it, they had traveled it, and it, it's, uh, it's 17 miles essentially downhill. Jerusalem is up in the mountain, up on a big hill. It's a fortress kind of city at the time of David, and, and so it's, a, it's, it's got the ideal location. But to get to Jericho, you go down quickly. Uh, so it's a 17 mile winding road, hairpin turns, and the problem is that uh, these sharp corners, hairpin turns, provide lots of places for bad guys to hide. So it's got this reputation. It's sort of a dangerous trek to make. So man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, shame on the priest. Now, first century uh, Judaism was very hierarchical. And uh, the priests were at the top of the food chain. They had the most education. They probably spoke in Hebrew. They understood Latin probably as well. And uh, they had money. And their, their, their... Religious attire was very ornate, so they were, you know, they were the, uh, the upper, crust, upper crust. Ivy League, East Coast elite, and, um, and so this guy, he's walking. We believe that a lot of the, of the priests lived in Jericho, sort of a bedroom community to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's got the temple, so when they got to go to the temple, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a track, but not that far. And they live in Jericho, which is, which is a nicer place to live. So he sees this man. There's no chance he doesn't see him because it's, it's I mean, the road's still there. It's a narrow road. Uh, he sees this guy. But the guy's beaten up and bloody. There's a chance that he's a priest. But this guy can't tell that because his clothes have been taken. And he's unconscious, so he can't speak to him. And uh, so he just passes by on the other side. Um, not what he's supposed to do. Uh, so all of... One of the ways we can divide history is is by looking at the um, the circle of concern that people have. And way back, it was really sort of your family, right? You're, you're, you're paying attention. You're trying to take care of your family. Every other family is a little bit of a competitor uh, at the least, maybe an enemy. And then, then we sort of move into villages, and now it's it's everybody in your village is sort of on the same team they're your new family and you got to watch out for them and then at this point it's really expanded to your people your eth- ethnic group your your extended tribe and that's the way based on the Old Testament uh, and the laws of the Pharisees that's the way he this 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 priest would understand things I'm supposed to take care of my own okay so Jesus is going to not accept this paradigm. But the priest should have helped this guy. He doesn't. Verse thirty two. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Levites, sort of priest second class. The the, the descendants of Levi were the ones that sort of cared for the priest. And there's like twelve categories of, of Levites. At the top is the is the priest, twelve Twelve rungs of the religious establishment at the top of the priest. And everybody else is sort of referred to as a Levite. So this guy also should know that he's supposed to help. Now, in, in fairness to them, part of the prep for this sermon this week, I read a number of the accounts uh, of people who are, you know, in New York City. Someone's getting beat up and they they cry for for two hours, and it's it's believed that 100 people hear the screams and nobody does anything. And now, even worse, we've got footage, right? There's video footage because there's so many security cameras. You can watch video footage of people getting beat up, and then you watch the footage as over the course of the next 45 minutes, you know, 18 people walk by and just step over the person or around them and don't do anything uh, to help. So it's not like what these guys are doing is... That uncommon, but it's wrong. And they, as religious uh, Jews, should have known that it was wrong. So then, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wound, wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So, remember, the Samaritans are the bad guys. They're the enemies of the Jews. Uh, The the Samaritans were the heretics. They were the half-breeds. After Solomon, the kingdom divides, northern ten tribes, southern two tribes, northern ten tribes overrun by the Assyrians. The Samaritans are those Jews that that survived that or were left behind who intermarried with the Assyrians who moved into their homes. And they they formed a religion that was close to Judaism. It had a version of the Pentateuch, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, but they didn't accept uh, they didn't accept anything past that. They certainly didn't recognize David as being king or Jerusalem or any of those things, and. Uh, they tried to help the Jews when the, when the southern two tribes came back from exile in 430 and Ezra was trying to gather people together to rebuild the temple. They showed up to say, "Ah, oh, we'll help you out. But the Jews said, not on your life, you know, your you're scum, and, and chased them off. And so they went and built their own temple, and then the Jews came over to try and destroy it. And so they, they hate each other. They've got hundreds of years of hating each other <laughs> and their neighbors, Right. Jesus was traveling from Galilee down to Judea. And in the middle was Samaria. And he went through. I talked about this. He chose to go through Samaria. Most Jews would go around it because they didn't even want to enter into Samaria. So it's shocking that Jesus is going to turn a Samaritan into the hero here. I mean, the 21st century equivalent of this would be to say a man's beat up. First, you know, uh, uh, a... a pastor walks by, and he doesn't do anything to help. Then, a, you know, a Catholic priest walks by, he doesn't do anything to help. Then a radical Muslim cleric comes by, and he helps. He stops and takes care of this man. Now, uh, the, the people hearing this are thinking, Come on, Jesus, you're not supposed to tell a story in which the radical Muslim uh, cleric is the hero. But that is what he is doing. So this guy takes pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, which would suggest since he's a traveling, he, probably, he doesn't have a first aid kit, he's probably tearing his own robe to make bandages for this guy. Um, then he put him on his own donkey, which means he's now got to walk, uh, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, not an insignificant amount of money. He also made a promise uh, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this man, the, the man's been beat up. I mean, he does not have any money, right? He was just robbed. And in that culture, if you go in debt, right, you, you're going to get put in prison, or the only other option you've got is to sell yourself into slavery, to pay off your debt. I mean, it's not like he can, you know, get on his cell phone and text somebody and say, hey, go to the ATM and, you know, get out some money and come meet me here, right? So he's, he is at the mercy of this guy, and this guy does everything for him that needs to be done. Then Jesus asked this question, and, and please note, it's not the question that we started with. The, 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 the lawyer said, who's my neighbor? That's not the question that Jesus is going to come back to. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So in other words, right, who, who do you want to stop if it's you that's been beat up? Jesus has done something very profound here. As opposed to telling a story in which the Samaritan is beaten up, and, and various Jews walk by. And then Jesus says, you know, what is your responsibility to this guy? And then says, your responsibility to the Samaritans is that you would help them. You know what the response to that is going to be? Because the response is going to be, well, look, I can't help everybody. And they're just going to enter into a debate on who is my neighbor. Right? And, and they, this religious Jew is going to say, I can't help everybody. That, that doesn't work. There's an inexhaustible number of people who need care. I've got to limit my exposure here. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus tells a story in which the beaten, broken, robbed, naked, desperate person is the lawyer. And he says, so how do you want these people to define neighbor? And if it's you, what would you want to happen and the the expert in the law replied, "The one who had mercy on him." Jesus told him, "Go and do likewise." Well, look there are uh, there are three things that I want to leave you with from this uh, this story. First of all, it we can't miss that Jesus goes out of his way to speak against racism. It's not organic to the story. But he makes it organic to the story. He will do this over and over. In a couple chapters, we're going to see that when he talks about ten lepers who are healed, only one of them comes back to say thanks. The one that comes back to say thanks is a Samaritan. And then uh, at one point, Jesus is going to get attacked by the Pharisees, and they're going to call him. The worst thing they can think of, they go, You're a Samaritan and demon-possessed. And Jesus will not respond to the claim that he's a Samaritan like, okay, what's so bad about that? But he will respond to the charge that he's demon-possessed. So he is going to go out of his way um, to make it clear that we cannot organize around class or ethnicity or only extend care and concern and love to those people who look like us and dress like us and act like us and hang out with us, right? Jesus is not going to accept the, the loophole that the lawyer is looking for. He is, going to, he is going to say our circle of concern needs to go in every direction. This, I said that there was a time where, where we cared for our family and we didn't worry about those that weren't part of our family and then it was an extended family and then it was our village and then it became our ethnicity. Jesus says, no, wrong answer, right? That's not the way you are supposed to think about who you're going to extend care to. We extend care in every direction. Uh, to Jesus' way of thinking, uh, the Jews... Circle of concern was too small. He refuses to allow us to limit those we love. Um, so, the lawyer is looking for a loophole. Jesus absolutely shuts it down. No, no racism, classism, any of those kinds of things are going to are going to hold with Christ. Secondly, I, I want to be sure you see the the. Uh, the, the care that Jesus celebrates here is holistic, right? It's, it's meeting this person's physical needs, material needs, economic needs. He steps in in a big way. Um, he doesn't accept a small understanding of love. And nor will, nor will uh, the rest of the New Testament suggest anything of, of the like. In 1 John 4, Jesus is going to say, the love you have for God is the love you show for other people, right? If you can say you love God, if you don't love other people, you don't love God. A God you can't see, All Right? So this is, the, this is how you love God. This is the barometer that we're looking at for how you love God, um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the great Puritan preachers, a revivalist, a great scholar. Many have, have argued that that Edwards is likely the smartest person ever born on American soil. The work he did in in philosophy before he focused on theology was uh, just it's it's uh, some of the best philosophical thinking, and the philosophers are all sick that Edwards. Uh, had this conversion to Christ and then becomes a theologian as a young man and stops writing and thinking about philosophy. Edwards, a brilliant guy, wrote a number of books, becomes a president of Princeton, missionary to the Indians. He does all kinds of things. But he writes a very interesting sermon uh, in the early 1700s entitled, The Duty of Charity to the Poor. And it's clearly... A an exposition on the Good Samaritan. He uses the word neighbor over sixty times, and he goes. He just goes after all the arguments that we still hear today about helping the poor. Uh, so the, the people that got into the into New England first got all the land, and so uh, the the people who were coming over had a hard time getting getting established, getting started, and. Uh, and so Edwards was sort of speaking out uh, about the duty of charity to those who were poor. And he goes down the list and he'll say things that uh, like, um, well, I'm not helping them because they're not really that poor. Okay. Yeah, they're struggling. But if, if we were going to put this in 21st century vernacular, they, I've been to their home. They got big screen TVs. Right. They're not in that much trouble. And Edward says, look, the question is, is really that you've got to frame this at is, how would you like to live like they're living? Right? Apply the standard you're applying to them to yourself. And then another question that comes up is, um, uh, or another objection that comes up is, well, they, they, they brought it on themselves. But this is their fault. And Edward says, yeah, and in a lot of situations it is their fault. They've made bad choices, and they're going to continue to make bad choices because they don't seem to have the ability to make good choices. But you've got to be there to care for their families and their kids, and you've got to figure out ways to help them make better choices. And then uh, another one that he says is, I, well, I can't help everybody, right? I mean, I, the, the needs are huge. And he says, right, well, what you're really saying is, I can't help that person without it costing me something. This is going to affect my standard of living. And he says, right, uh, as it should. Now, that leads to the third point that I want to be sure you get. And this goes back to that whole discussion at the beginning about context. See, you don't get this the first four or five times you read through the Gospel of Luke. But if you keep reading through, right, then, then some things start to fall together. And all of a sudden you realize Jesus is going towards his death the question that's been asked is what must i do to inherit eternal life and then suddenly you go oh wait a minute i'm the one that's been beat up i'm the one that's lying in the road and jesus is not the good samaritan he's the great samaritan and he enters he's the outsider who enters into my risky, broken world and at great expense to himself does everything for me that needs to be done. Now I see part of the story that's going on here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Be adopted into the family of God. Right? I've got to get into that family to inherit eternal life. And I get into that family on the basis of the work that Christ has done. Now, please, please, I, I will have done you and everyone else a great disservice if you think that that's all that you need to take away from this, from this passage. It's, it's a big point. Jesus is the great Samaritan. <laughs> and he's going to his death in order to secure for us forgiveness of sins and eternal life and do everything for us that we can't do for ourselves. We're beaten, we're broke up, we're broken, we, we're, we're, we're naked, we're helpless. But he's going to do everything at his own cost in order to secure for us what we need. That's, a, that's the big point. But don't miss the other big point, and that is, Jesus says to the lawyer, after he asks him, What do you hope? The person coming by understands for the term neighbor. How do you hope their circle of concern gets extended? And the guy says, Well, like the one who showed mercy. And then he says, Good, go and do likewise. Go live like that. Go be the good Samaritan. Go be the one that cares for people, independent of, you know, class and college degree and job and social circle and ethnicity, right? Go love people in very practical ways. That's what we get called to do. Thanks to all of you who are serving again. May we keep it going and growing. May we, may we see the, the, the care from this church extend in big ways in every direction. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this book with its um, incisive and brilliant insight, a book that keeps giving the more that we read. We understand that in ways we can't fully uh, explain that this book is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow. It, it guides us. It, it, it reads us more than we read it. And it helps us, uh, helps us know how to live and how to think. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the great Samaritan who stopped, who, who came in from outside, despised though you were, uh, and, uh, and stopped and cared for us. And secured for us what we can't secure for ourselves. May we be like you. Follow that example. Love others. Serve give, share. Uh, May our circle of concern go out in every direction. To your glory we pray this in Christ's name.